Base soul, take one. Hi, this is Connie Burton, uh, sister of Cliff Burton from Metallica, and we're on radio here with Joshua at Talk to Me. What is up, everybody? Welcome into Talk To Me, episode 261. The guest this week is Connie Burton, the older sister of the great Cliff Burton. And for this episode, we've got a special guest, and that is Jake Massonary of Them Evils, man. How you doing tonight? Dude, I am doing great. You know, sipping some beers, enjoying the sunlight, uh, trying to stay sane through all this. <laughs> nice. Are you, out in, uh, are you out in Vegas? I am actually in Los Angeles right now. Nice. So yeah. You're- so you're locked down? Are you locked down in uh, Los Angeles? Uh, to a certain extent. I hit the beach today, but, you know, at a respectable distance to other people. <laughs> <laughs> you're, not in one of those, you're not in one of those photos of like, look, everybody at the beach just having fun within six oh, feet of each other. You know, those are the worst photos right now. Dude, it, it's a horrible time to be from Southern California right now because <laughs> everyone's just blowing it down here. It's just but. like beach shaming all over the place. Hundred <laughs> <laughs> percent. Yeah, you got like people from like Minnesota, just like look at them; they're having fun. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, like they're calling California the Florida or Orange County the Florida of California, which <laughs> isn't the best rap right now, I guess. But whatever. <laughs> well, I mean, the one thing that I, you know you guys can't do, and that's uh, right now, is hang out in media tents at big festivals. Uh, that's you know yeah. where where I see you guys every year. So I mean, what have you been doing during this uh, during this lockdown, this pandemic? Well, I mean, right now we uh, we just been writing, dude. Uh, we uh, we were supposed to do a tour with the Pretty Reckless back in May. Um, that obviously didn't happen, uh, which is you know obviously a huge bummer because that was their first tour back in about three years. Um, so right now, man, I mean, we, we're sitting on about uh, you know six or seven new songs. Uh, and then we just went back into the studio last week and wrote a new one and tracked that. Um, we're just trying to write and stay productive, man. Uh, we just dropped a new single about a month ago called Where Are You Gonna Crash Tonight? Um, and dude, it's it's just, we're trying to, you know, adapt to the curve like every artist is right now, trying to stay sane and trying to stay relevant through all of this because as you know, you know, as a someone who's in the music industry, it's like you got to just stay relevant so when you're not touring and stuff it's it's a lot harder to do than you'd think so oh absolutely We're just trying to stay creative and try to stay relevant is all we can really do and not drink too much beer but <laughs> right <laughs> the uh one of the reasons i had you on is because i posted about cliff burton the other day on uh, on facebook you reached out and you're like dude cliff and i'm like yeah i know i get it and uh you know one thing looking at you it's kind of funny i think if caa was casting a movie about Cliff Burton, I think they could cast you as the role of Cliff. <laughs> dude, that would honestly be like, dude, I've, I've gotten that compliment. Like to me, I take that as like the biggest fucking compliment, but like people have told me like after shows, they'd be like, you know who you remind me of? It's Cliff Burton. And I'm like, dude, that is just the ultimate, you know, compliment to me. Cause like one, we have the same birthday, which is the coolest thing. <laughs> That's crazy. But, um, no, when I was in, a sixth grade fifth or sixth grade uh my neighbor was like the one who got me into music he's like hey i got a guitar for christmas 
you should get a bass for Christmas and we'll start a band. And I had no idea what a bass was, but I asked my parents <laughs> to get me one. And then when they did, my neighbor burned me a copy of Kill 'Em All by Metallica. And after hearing like anesthesia pulling teeth, it was just like, holy shit, like who is this bass player, dude? And so I Googled Cliff Burton and, you know, I saw the live in, I think it's 81 that they do where Cliff does that crazy bass solo right before For Whom the Bell Tolls. It's like that outdoor festival. And I saw that. And then I like looked, I just dove down a rabbit hole, man, and like saw a picture of his tombstone. And it was like February 10th is his birthday. And I was like, no way. This is, <laughs> that was like, that was like my sign, man, that I'm supposed to be playing bass is, is the coolest thing. Now, the crazy thing, I think you just showed your age in there, is the fact that you Googled Cliff Burton to see who it was. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I, was, I think that was like 15 years ago, something like that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think around um, 91 is when I first really got into Metallica. Like, I had, I had had a friend play me in Justice for All and just didn't click. You know, I was like 10 or 11. And then yeah. Black Album comes out, Inner Sandman, you know, Sad But True. All that stuff just goes on. And then uh, I just, I basically went one day from like Kiss and all that stuff to just all I listened to was Metallica. And, yeah. and I bought a bass. Um, and, and I think the first song I ever played from start to finish was For Whom the Bell Tolls. And oh, yeah. You, you just go down that rabbit hole. And then somewhere around there, you know, Cliff Amal comes out on VHS. And it, he's just a, you know, it's just a crazy thing, man, to, to know that he did all of that and died at 24. That's insane. Dude, I know. I think about, like, <laughs> I'm 27 now, and I think about, like, what I've accomplished as a musician and where I'm at as a player. And it's just like, because, I mean, I, I think about that all the time, especially being 27 now. You know, you I think about, you know, Jim Morrison, Janis Joplin, Jimi Hendrix, you know, Amy Winehouse, all those people, Kurt Cobain, all those people who died at 27. And I think, wow, like they accomplished all that by the age of 27. But then when I think about Cliff Burton, it's like, holy shit, man. You know, he did all that by 24. So where I was at three years ago, you know, just being some idiot playing <laughs> local shows or something, you know, it's just, it's mind blowing. I mean, obviously it was a different time, but the way he was as a player, dude, it's just insane it's cool to like I, I go back and like always watch like videos of like dave mustaine talking about you know him starting off and playing with cliff like i just watched this interview with uh dave mustaine was talking about uh or he was on some serious xm show and he was talking about how uh the riff of four horsemen or mechanics when him and cliff wrote it it was like the dun, 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 you know that like yeah. bridge riff he was talking about how he's like, go back and listen to Sweet Home Alabama. We totally ripped that riff <laughs> off. And he's just like talking about stories with him and Cliff. And I don't know. It's just, it's such a cool thing, you know? That's the one thing about Metallica to me is the fact that, you know, they start the band in 81 and then they put out Kill 'em All in 83. 84 is uh, Ride the Lightning. 86, Master of Puppets. You know, like bands don't do that. You don't just all of a sudden start a band when you're 18. And then by the time you're 24, put out, you know, what is hailed as the most classic album in the uh, in the genre by by the time of, uh, you know, the band's been around for five years. Dude, it's it's that's why, like, forever they will be my my favorite band. They're the one who got me into music, man. But like, dude, it's it's unheard of now. You know what I mean? I mean, and also music is under such a 
bigger microscope now and like everyone's over analyzing every song of every album. So it makes it a lot harder for artists, I feel like, to produce consistently good music like that. But at the same time, like back then, dude, they were not, you know, doing it to gain success or get radio play. Like they were just a bunch of long haired dudes drinking beer, writing heavy music, which I think is what is getting lost nowadays, you know? Yeah. There were so many things they did that bucked the trend at the time. I mean, obviously they, they didn't put out a, a, a video until 88, 89, you know, with one, yeah, you know, and, and for being such a gigantic band, I mean, they, uh, 86, they opened for Ozzy and I don't, I don't think they've opened for anyone since then, you know, and, just, yeah. and, and to, to it, that would be like a band now coming out and not putting their music on YouTube and Spotify <laughs> and yeah, still exactly. becoming the biggest band ever. Yeah. Doing one opening tour for arguably the, one of the biggest artists of all time, and then never opening for anyone else after that. Like, crazy, man. They, uh, yeah, they're unparalleled to me, and they will always be my number one. Like, watching, I go back and watch, like, the early, early videos from, like, some of them are on, like, Cliff Amal when, when Cliff's rocking, like, before he had his signature, signature bass he had when he was rocking, like, the Rickenbacker dude. Mm-hmm. It's just so sick. Oh, yeah. Like, it's... Anytime I see one of those Rickenbackers at a store, I'm just like, ah, oh, pick it up, you know, and you'll play a little on it. And they actually kind of play like shit. But uh, dude, but I was, I had one for a while, and like they're they weren't my vibe, man. They're very uncomfortable for me. Um, I don't know how he could rip around. Like, I mean, he could also bend bass strings like no one could ever bend bass strings. So who knows how he was able to do it all? But yeah, they weren't comfortable for me at all. Yeah, if you watch, you talked about the uh, the day on the green um, uh, performance where they That's do what it was. Yeah. where they where they do the you know he kind of does a, a a snippet of the bass solo and the into uh, for whom the bell tolls. But as soon as they kick yeah. into for whom the bell tolls, he's even kind of riffing and jamming on that. And and the second uh, the second little go through where he just kind of he almost plays it like a like an electric guitar lead. You're just like it just doesn't make any sense like how people do that with bass. Dude, there's like I know like the there's one like dude I've worshipped this video growing <laughs> up, but yeah. like there's one bend that he does on his bass like four counts right before Lars counts into the actual song, and it's like dude he bends his G string like all the way up to the A like it dude it's it's insane, um, but yeah dude and he's always headbanging that's what I loved about him too it was like no matter what, he just doesn't stop headbanging, which I think is so rad. Some of the fun stuff in the interview we get into with Connie is uh, she talks about how even at that time, he didn't he didn't want the money, he didn't want the fame, he didn't want everything that came along with it, he just wanted to be a musician. And even at the time of his death, I think his bank account was in his mother's name. And and if he needed money, he would just have her wire him money. And he's you know even before they went on the the fatal tour where he you know got passed away, he was still driving a shitty car and he uh, you know missed a flight because his car broke down on the you know just just so many yeah. things that just make him a real. legend that you know yeah a real and yeah. a legend at the same time. Because it's like dude, especially nowadays. I mean, like anyone who's in you know, even at whatever age, but, you know, with the majority of the people that are getting big and famous or successful at the age of 24, especially in the music industry, it's like, dude, there's no one like that anymore. You know what I mean? Like everyone's worried about their appearance or what they're driving or how their social media looks and stuff like that. And like, I don't know. 
I feel like even if he was around today or getting famous today, like it wouldn't be the same thing. You know, it's like there are those people that are, you know, very rarely come around that are just stick out from all the others that just don't give a shit about any of the bullshit going on. And he was for sure one of those people. Right. From what I could gather, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think from, you know, there, there are two, there are two people that, uh, if they were alive today, they would have completely different lives on social media. One being Dimebag Daryl. I think Dimebag would rule social media, with yeah. his videos and clips and probably his, you know, quirky posts on, you know, could you imagine Dimebag Daryl tweeting? You know? Dude, but, I think that would be legendary. <laughs> and then you've got Cliff, who probably would never own a smartphone, you know. Yeah, exactly. He's just, he's rocking a burner 24-7. <laughs> yeah, if you want to get in touch with Cliff, you have to call, like, his, you know, his sister and uh, maybe she'll get the message to him. Yeah, ex- exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, um... You know, kind of getting into the uh, even more into the interview and just kind of kind of learning more about Cliff. It's just, you, you know, the the one thing that they were saying in, when he was in the band Trauma, uh, she talks about how the guitar player in Trauma at the time would always get mad at him for playing too much and uh, <laughs> how, how he had to kind of go to Metallica to to find his way. You know, he, he just said he just had such a such a such music about him that was uh even to this day i'll listen to master of puppets and i'll still find stuff in there i'm like oh my god i can't believe that's cliff you know i always thought that was james or kirk you know stuff like that yeah dude there there he like mastered a bass tone that i to this day will always be trying to achieve man he like and the way he would do like certain runs like he would make them super bluesy but he wouldn't also like he was very subtle about how he would rip. You know what I mean? Like he, he was a ripper when like live shows and they wanted him to do like a live solo into for whom the bells holes or something. But like, other than that, like he was never like over the top as like anesthesia, obviously. But like, other than that, he was doing like these little subtle runs, like letting, he was catering the song, not just his own playing. You know what I mean? Which I think really to me makes a shredder good is like being able to cater to the song rather than your ego. And like his bass playing was just like the epitome of that to me. You know what I mean? Like instead of just trying to show off and rip all the time, he would be like, oh, there's a little gap in this bridge. This is where I'll do a cool bass run. You know what I mean? (laughs) You know, with Metallica to this day, you know, I went and saw them, uh, what was it, last last summer or the year before, on the uh, on the latest Hardwired tour, and even you know they still have photos of Cliff up. You know they they definitely don't yeah. they don't uh, bury any of the you know history of oh, the band. 100%. Yeah, I saw them. We did uh, Rock on the Range with them a few years ago, um, and it was the same thing. But that was one of the craziest things is there was a rain delay in the stadium, and watching people sitting out in two and a half hours of a rain delay in their ponchos or whatever, just waiting for Metallica. Like I, I was spoiled. I was in the artist tent that had like an open bar and a co- like I was covered. I was spoiled, but like just watching those many that many diehard fans, man, it's like, damn, I want to do that. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty intense, man. Just to, I don't, I don't think there'll ever be a band as big as Metallica, and even the bands that could be, I think, with social media and just everything coming along with all of that, you, you're, you're, you've got so much negativity out there to where I don't, yeah. I don't think that a band gives it, it has enough time to breathe and, and become what they will become because 
how many bands third album is their pinnacle album and then you exactly. have to think about how many bands don't make it to their third album you know? exactly and then make it to their you know <laughs> tenth album right <laughs> and right still relevant yeah yeah, you see a lot of bands grow to the second album and then they peter out and they fight. You know, bands are. They fight about everything and, you know, they fight over the dumbest stuff and they'll quit and, and you know, whole new lineup change and all this other nonsense, uh, you know, over nothing. And then, yeah, they don't, they, and then they break up before that, that pinnacle third album. Yeah, where it's like Metallica, obviously the only reason they've had member changes is because, unfortunately, they lost Cliff, so... It's pretty crazy. Yeah, Lost Cliff or or Jason just uh, you know decides to leave. <laughs> oh well, yeah, true, Dave. Whoops. Well, but. yeah. <laughs> we don't talk about pre uh, pre kill 'em all Metallica ring. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. A funny stat is is Rob has now been in the band longer than Jason was in the band. Really? Yeah. Because you got he joined, he joined in when like early two thousands, right? Yeah, like 03. So it's been like seventeen yeah. years now. That's crazy, dude. Because he's still, to me, I just think of, like, uh, what that, uh, what's the DVD? Was it the St. Anger DVD? When he, like, <laughs> yeah, some kind band? of monster. Some kind of monster, yeah. I just still think, because, like, that's what I grew up on. So, like, that's the last, you know, how I picture Robert being in the band. So, I still think of that as, like, not that long ago, because that's, like, how I associate it with, but. Now that you say that, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> you know, watching some kind of monster, if you watch the bass auditions and you're like, all right, you know, Pepper and, and whoever else and the guy from Gene's Addiction yeah. and Twiggy and all this other stuff. And then, then Rob comes in and you're like, oh, yeah, Rob got it. <laughs> like, yeah. There's just like no denying that, that he's going to be the bass player. Yeah, dude, that guy is an absolute animal and I have no idea how he can play bass that well. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Jake, man, I do appreciate you taking the time tonight, doing a little uh, intro to the uh, to the Connie Burton episode, man. And uh, what's on the horizon for them, Evils? And and you know, will we be seeing you guys through the uh, festival circuit next year, even if you're not playing? Well, so right now we, uh, like I said, we just dropped a single called "We're Gonna Crash Tonight." Um, you can pick it up on like Spotify, Apple Music, uh, you know. MySpace, whatever you're into, <laughs> Pornhub. Right. Um, but uh, no, man, I mean, we, we're supposed to go back out on tour. Uh, the prerequisite tour we were scheduled for got rescheduled till September. And then we're supposed to be doing this festival called Rebel Rock Festival in Florida in September. But honestly, I don't think any of that's going to be happening. But um, so, yeah, man, I mean, all we can hope for is just next year, 2021, come back hard, hit all the festivals. Uh we definitely will be dropping another new single within the next few weeks. Uh, we're in the mastering process of all that and just getting all the release stuff finalized. But definitely stay in touch with us at like themevils.com, you know, Instagram, Facebook, themevils, all that. And we'll be dropping some tunes soon, baby. Connie Burton, the older sister of the major rager and the four-string motherfucker himself, Cliff Burton. Connie, how are you doing tonight? 
I'm doing great. How are you doing, Josh? I'm doing so well, so well. So honored to get to talk to you. Thank you so much. It's an honor to talk with you, too. <laughs> well, I grew up listening to Cliff when I was like 11 years old. Cliff was uh, one of the reasons I picked up a bass. I ended up uh, touring the country many years later, and uh, I kind of contributed all the way back to getting into into your brother. So uh, I have to th- uh, thank the family for that. Oh, uh, yeah, that's very cool. Since you were 11 years old, huh? Well, I, I started playing at 11, and I started touring at 18. But, uh, but yeah, it was, uh, it, was, it was, you know, based in Cliff Burton Hallelujah. Land. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. All right, well, <laughs> we will kind of dive into it, Connie. Um, I know you're his older sister. I think you're, what, uh, about four years older than he was? Yes. Okay. Yeah. And then... Uh, I was the oldest, Cliff was the youngest, and Scott was in the middle. He was two years younger than me and two years older than Cliff. Okay. And then at, at what age do you think that around, did you guys notice that Cliff was musical? That he was musical? Yeah. Um, well, I don't know. You know, uh, I'll tell you, I, I will tell you this. Okay. He, um, he, he was headbanging when he was a baby. <laughs> right. All right. But a baby can't go like back and forth. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, um, forward and backward, right? Mm. Like Cliff would bang, right? Okay. So, uh, he swung back and forth, side <laughs> to side. He'd rock. Back and forth, back and forth, side to side, side to side, right? And my mom and I used to say, what do you think he's going to be when he grows up, right? And I was like a parachuter because they go side <laughs> to side on the way, right? Yeah. My mom's like, maybe a swimmer, you know, because they have to keep turning their head side to side, right? Well, we could never figure it out. What, what was he going to do when he was older, right? But we knew it had something to do with it. And it turned out to be his uh, spontaneous uh, response to the music, right? Uh, physically, and that was headbanging. And um, he was doing it since he was a baby. So when we first noticed he was musical, I don't know, we were about, probably he was probably around eight years old, nine years old. We had a piano, and he loved the piano, um, but he really didn't get into uh, playing music and such like that until my brother Scott died. Okay. And um, that's when he picked up the guitar and uh, started with that. And then he graduated, went to the bass. Now, how was he as a as a brother? Was he the annoying younger brother? Was he a friend of yours? You know, how, did, how was your sibling relationship? Well, uh, I'll tell you what. It was rough going at first because I was five years old, four years old, right, when, um, when Cliff was born. And they gave him my bedroom. <laughs> and so I had to share a bedroom with my brother Scott all of a sudden, right? And um, no one explained it to me. Like, you know, you know, this is a new baby. They have to have their own space, yada, 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 right? They were just like, okay, you're moving out. You're moving in with your brother, you know? And the new baby's taking your room, right? So... That really didn't go over well with me uh, for a long time. Um, and, uh, and then I finally got over that, and um, Cliff and I became very, very close. Um, uh, he was always the mediator in the family, you know. My dad and I would get into it at the dinner table or what have you, and Cliff would be the one 
to, you know, he always called me Con. And he'd say, Con, come in the living room. Let me talk to you. Right? And he'd say, you know, we'd go in the living room and he'd look down at me and he'd say, just shut up. You know? <laughs> just effing shut up, Connie. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, no way is he going to talk to me like that. Yada, yada, yada. Right? And I wasn't going to shut up. And neither was my father. So, uh, you know, he was like always the mediator like that. And, um, he was a, um, uh, he was a great brother. He was like my protector. And, um, there was, um, many times that he stood up and protected me. He was there for me when I needed him. And, um, and he always had good advice for me. Not that I always took it. Um, with my hard-headedness, but, um, and, um, uh, he always included me, um, until he got to be with Metallica, and then he'd had enough of his big sister, um, with trauma, uh, because I went with the, um, the vocalist, Donnie Hillier, right? Mm -hmm. And so I was always there at the practices and stuff like that, right? And Cliff couldn't get shake his big sister, you know what I mean? <laughs> Poor guy. And then so finally, when he um, when he went to Metallica, he was like, "Okay, Connie, Con, please don't go out with any of the guys in my band, and um, I, I don't want you to go to practice with me anymore." And I'm like, "But Cliff, right?" <laughs> but. It was time for him to grow up and grow into his music alone without his big sister hanging around, right? Right. Well, I think he was the, wasn't he, wasn't he the oldest in Metallica? So that would have put the age gap with you and the Metallica guys at a couple, even, even, you know, further. So, yeah, you know. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, definitely. I could be wrong on this, but I think growing, you know, at some time I read it, but I do believe, you know, he, he got into a lot of the heavier stuff, the hard rock and the, uh, the Southern rock, classic rock type stuff through your record collection. Is that true? Through his record collection? Like through your stuff, through you having some stuff around the house. Yeah. And my mother and my father too. He was very much influenced by music from a very early age. My dad was into, uh, swing and jazz and, um, the big band era and classical music. And my mom was into uh, classical music and the country western and um, a lot of that. Um, but he grew up uh, with a, a variety of different musics, you know, um, around him. So um, none of us had any idea, though, when he picked up that guitar and said, I'm going to be the best musician I can be for my brother. None of us really had any idea uh, what that actually meant. You know what I'm saying? We found out. <laughs> but we had no idea at the moment when he said it that uh, where he would go with it. Yeah, he, uh, he, he definitely uh, fulfilled that uh, wish to his brother. So. Yeah. The, um... Yeah. You know his early bands was. What were some of the stuff he was doing before Trauma? Was he was he playing you know cover bands things like that around the, uh, you yeah, know around the area? Yeah, he was doing like um like uh, he was doing like Easy Street, and then Battle of the Bands, and they do um, and then they had Fry by Night and um, 
uh, was it Five by Night? Yeah. And um, a couple of other ones, uh, bands that he was in. And um, they did a lot of cover tunes and stuff like that. They had a few originals, but mostly cover tunes. You Is know? that stuff with, uh, with Mike Borden? Is that Mike Borden around at this time? Um, well, no. Uh, well, early on, yeah, Mike was through part of it, and mm-hmm. then Mike bailed out, and then Mike came back in. Okay. So in the early days, and um, he kind of traded off him and Jim Martin, kind of traded <laughs> off or something. <laughs> I don't know what they were doing, some kind of musical dance there. <laughs> it's so crazy to think about all of the talent that was just running through the Burton household. You know, you got you got uh, you know Mike there going on to play with Faith No More and even Ozzy and Black Sabbath. <laughs> you know, just all this stuff, and then uh, you know obviously yeah. Cliff and Jim Martin. It's just a you know that whole that whole San Francisco Bay Area was a, was an insane area to live in, I guess, at the time. It was absolutely insane. It was so great, though. It was just like an explosion of metal. And uh, I remember back to where um, I was calling up trying to get uh, radio stations to play Metallica, right? Okay. And um, they had a CD out and everything like that, uh, Jump in the Fire, right? And Or Creeping Death, whatever it was. But nobody would play it. I went from all the way to the entire Bay Area and all the way to San Jose and for Santa Cruz, right? Nobody would play uh, Metallica on the radio. I couldn't get one station to play them. Now, and then they became global. <laughs> yeah, they did. The, um, you know, at that time, were you into the heavier stuff too? You know, when all of the exoduses and, and you know, Metallica and stuff starts coming around, were you, were you into that or were you kind of more into the, you know, the... the oh, the, no, the... I was totally in the scene. I was totally into the scene. As a matter of fact, um, we had, um, we had caught on to um, this um, mosh pit right okay. kind of thing yeah but um this was back in um the early 80s right and um and um it's when um punks um showed up in san francisco from england right and they'd go to the gigs down there they'd have gigs um uh with punk bands and stuff like that down on broadway and um and so we caught on to this kind of a uh, it was kind of like a mosh pit, but it wasn't, right? And so one night when Metallica was playing at the Stone in San Francisco, my uh, my girlfriend, which was close girlfriend uh, for many, many years, her name's Audrey. Um, Audrey, hi, Audrey. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, Audrey Kimball, she, um, we, uh, we started just like dancing around in a circle, right? And we had a rhythm, though, that we were dancing to. There was a uh, um, a rhyme and a reason to it. You know what I'm saying? Okay. And then somebody accidentally hit somebody else in the face, right? <laughs> As right. Okay. So then that started the whole thing off, right? And back then we wore spikes, you know, with leather bands with spikes on them and stuff like that. And oh, I was all into it, definitely. And um, into the metal scene. There you go. <laughs> it was great, though, just to watch metal explode in in into the arena. You know, of music. It was really awesome. 
So when he, I'm still a metal. I'm still a metal fan. Oh. Five finger death punch all the way live. <laughs> Five finger death punch. Oh well, Chris Kale will will love to hear that because Cliff. I mean, uh, Chris is another uh, Cliff disciple. So there we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll have to let him know that. Um. The um. You know when when Cliff joins Trauma starts Trauma and you're dating the singer. Um, you know, when all that kind of comes together, do you, do you remember the gig that when, you know, they go down to LA and supposedly Lars and James are there to check, you know, check Cliff out. Do you remember kind of that time period? Oh yeah, definitely. Most definitely. Um, that was a very strenuous time for Cliff. Um, because he had come to a point with his music that, um, He had expanded, I'll put it that way, to such a degree that, um, like, the lead guitarist was saying, Cliff, you're playing my part, you know? (laughs) Right. And Cliff would be like, no, I'm not. I'm just adding to it, man. I'm just, you know, elaborating on it, right? And it makes it better that way. And dude was like, no, you're, you know, no, right? (laughs) (laughs) Right. You're playing my part. And so Cliff was very frustrated. He got very frustrated and um, uh, at that point in time. And um, so it was, all, um, it was all worked out just perfect that, um, that Lars and James came along and uh, saw him, you know, and said, hey, you know, Lars said, this is going to be our next bass player, right? And, uh, and sure enough, he was. But uh, yeah, he needed room to to expand and to, and to breathe and um, to do his thing, you know. And Metallica gave him that space and place. Now I know this might be a tough question for you to answer, just because you were you know involved with the singer of Trauma. But when you heard Metallica, did you realize that he needed to go to to Metallica, or were you hoping that Trauma would stay together and you know continue on? You know, what were you? Uh, were, I'm, no, I'm sure you had to be torn. To, he, 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 he needed to move on. Um, he was being stifled. And um, and that's not good. That's not healthy. And, um, and so uh, it was best that he move on to a place where he could expand his horizons in the music world, you know, as a musician. Now, I get why they moved to San Francisco, and obviously the story is because of Cliff. You know, Cliff's like, hey, if you want me to join, you got to move here. And obviously the scene was right, better. Right. Which, uh-huh. in hindsight, man, you got to think that's, that's for, for two, you know, two or three guys to just get up and move their entire life for your brother has got to be, uh, has got to be yeah. very, very, uh, very cool for you. Yeah. It, it is. It's, a, it's quite a, um, an honor, you know, that, um, it, and it's, it's, um, it shows the caliber of, of musicians that uh, James and Kirk, um, uh, I mean, Lars, well, and Kirk, too, are um, in the fact that um, Lars knew when he heard Cliff. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. James knew when he heard Cliff, okay, this, we want this guy here, right? And we want him now. And they were willing to do whatever it took to get him. 
Yeah, well, I mean, they, they have a good eye and a good ear <laughs> because, you know, like, like we said yeah. earlier, you know, everybody goes back to those first three albums and, uh, you know, the bass playing on that alone just, you know, uh, Cliff probably sold more basses than, uh, you know, than, than most people alive. Um, yeah, right. <laughs> the, um, you know, when when you started going to see Metallica with Cliff in the band, you know, what were you seeing at the time? You know, did you did you feel like it was going to be huge or did you think it was just going to be a, a big local thing? You know, what were you thinking? Um, I really didn't have a scope on um, on how huge that they were going to be until um, the night that they played at the Cow Palace and they opened for Ozzy, right? Right. And um, that night, I realized um, that uh, they just hit the big time there. You know what I mean? So that's a few albums in. Is that on the Master of Puppets tour when you thought that? Yeah, that was on the Master of Puppets tour. Oh, wow. Because... But it didn't really click for me because I was just like... For me, I... I'm not uh, a fan. Do you know what I mean? My perspective on everything was like totally different as being his sister. Right. And um, so I was just saying, you know, this is cool. You know what I mean? I was along for the ride, right? And to support him and um, and encourage him and and um, and and you know, be there for him when I could. Uh, I was, you know, battling my addiction at the same time. So uh, sometimes I wasn't there when I wish I could have been or would have been. But um, that's, you know, uh, all's forgiven. Um, but uh, um, he, uh, um, uh, I forgot what I was saying. <laughs> <laughs> you were just talking about them kind of, kind of, you know, uh, you when you knew. That they, oh, they were about I to knew. the big time. Yeah, when I when I saw them, and I uh, when I saw them on that stage that night in particular, I just knew that this was just the beginning. You know, mm-hmm. it was the beginning of the end for Cliff. Yeah, but um, for Metallica itself, it was the beginning. Yeah, that was the last tour that they were ever the opener. Uh, and right, that was what exactly. eighty six or whatever. Um, yeah, just kind of kind of going back to to the Kill 'Em All era. Um, you know when they get signed and they you know they go out to New York, they record. You know wh- what are you doing at that time? And and you know, um, I guess we knew we knew that you didn't think that they you didn't know that they were about to make it big until till eighty six. But you know they're, when they're going to New York and all that stuff, you know how are you feeling for Cliff? Well, um, that was really cool because uh, a lot of times I'd stay in Cliff's room and... Um, you got your room back. gone. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was the, the child that was never leaving, right? Yeah. And uh, so I'd, Cliff would say, you know, I'd ask him, can I sleep in your room while you're gone, right? And while you're on tour, and he's like, yeah, don't, you know, just don't touch my favorite lamp, right? <laughs> okay. And... Um, <laughs> We had got gotten past the point of me breaking his mentor's records, um, but um, that's another story altogether. But uh, anyway, um, it was just a really a fantastical ride, um, you know, all, to be able to go to all the gigs and party and and um, uh, and I did party it up. 
I, um, I, at one point when they, this was when they put out the Kill 'Em All album, they were playing in uh, San Francisco at the Kabuki, I think it was, and um, I showed up and I was clean and sober. I hadn't had a drink or anything, a drug or what have you, and Cliff could tell. And um, he did not, I never had seen him cry before. Even when when my brother Scott died, I didn't see him cry. He didn't cry in front of anyone, you know. And um, he started crying. And he just hugged me. And uh, he whispered in my ear, thank you, I love you, Con. Right? Mm -hmm. And um, he had gotten to the point, though, with me being backstage, that he just felt really uncomfortable because I was such a blow-up case. <laughs> with a big mouth, yeah, and um, and there's you know people back there to do interviews with them and MTV showing up, you know what I mean, and all this, right? And I'm the you know out of hand drunk back there, and so it just made it was a really special evening that evening, um, that I will never forget. That's for sure, you know. Oh yeah, that's definitely a. Uh... You know, got to be uh, high up on the memory chart for that, especially that time period. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, I, I've i discussed this many times with many people of, like, how quick their rise was. You know, 83, Kill em All, 84, Ride the Lightning, 86, Master Puppets, being, like, back to back to back. You know, bands de definitely don't do that now. And, you know, to have... Still, you know, people talk about, you know, the, the last great Metallica album is Master of Puppets, and there's just so much tied into those first three records. And, yeah. you, yeah. Know, you know, from, from your perspective, you know, what were you seeing, you know, seeing him leaving on tour? Did, was, he, was he good about calling home, things like that? You know, there, it definitely wasn't oh, as yeah, easy. He was, Go ahead. Yeah, he was really good about that. Um, he'd call, you know, it got to be... Um, the calls got to be further and further apart um, because he was so busy. And um, he was either sleeping or eating or playing, you know? <laughs> right. And, um, and, uh, or on the bus. And um, uh, so, but he was really good about calling home. And um, he called home one time from Germany. He called from Germany and... Um, he said, Con, you got to come over here right now, right? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, what's going on, you know? And he says, the beer over here, man, you wouldn't believe it, right? <laughs> I've only had two beers and I'm plastered already, right? <laughs> <laughs> You've got to come drink this beer, right? And uh, so anyways, um, uh, he was really good about it, though. You know, he called my mom. And um, and he'd call and talk to the family regularly, you know, when he could. How did he handle the money and the fame? He d he does he seems to be pretty reserved. So you know, how was he handling all that? He wasn't. That's why I I definitely believe. Well, it's not just why, but that's one of the reasons. Um, I'm very spiritual. I'm a Jesus freak. What would Jesus do, right? Okay and a firm believer in God, and I don't believe it was any accident when he died, but he would not accept fame and fortune as a part of the package deal that goes along with being the best musician you can be. And Cliff did not want any 
part. My brother did not want any part of being with the fame and the fortune. Not that he didn't love his fans and all that, right? Yeah. Because he did very much, and he cared in his spirit. But the the fame and the fortune, he didn't know how much money he had. He didn't want to know how much money he had. The, his bank account was in my mother's name. I mean, he would call and say, Mom, I need some money, right? And so she'd wire him money wherever he was, right? <laughs> wow. And um, he was still driving his beat-up old Volkswagen, right? And, and I'm like, Cliff, why don't you just buy a new car? I mean, if you don't want to go shopping... You can just, like, look on, the, you know, call them up and tell them what to deliver and what color do you want. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? It's as simple as that. And he was like, no, this one works fine, right? This one <laughs> works fine. And I'm like, no, it's not working fine, right? You're missing rehearsals and, you know, all the rest, right? Missed the group wait, right to France because Cliff wasn't on the plane because his car broke down on the way to the airport. <laughs> Wow. And, uh, <laughs> but he, uh, my brother had a very um, special um, disdain, I'll call it, um, towards fame and fortune. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he wouldn't accept it. I, t- I told him one time when we were talking about it, and... Um, I said, Cliff, don't you understand that to be the best musician that you can be includes fame and fortune? I mean, it's a package deal. You can't separate it out, you know? And um, and he was just like, shook his head, no, no, no. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not doing it. So I think that when they hit the Master of Puppets, uh, tour that uh, the fame and fortune had gotten to uh, its own height that was enough of a level for Cliff to go I'm, I'm out of here on the ace of spades I'm out of here you guys can have it I'll go make music for the angels or heaven or whatever <laughs> yeah. you know yeah, I mean, it's you looking at the, you know, you watch videos of him throughout the years playing, and, you know, really, I think he only had the two bases. <laughs> you know, he had the Rickenbacker early, and then the Araya Pro later, but it's not like he had an right. ar- arsenal of bases and all these, di- even like some of the amps, if you pay attention to the amps in the background, I mean, they're kind of old and beat up too, so yeah, you can definitely tell he didn't, uh, you know, spend any right. excesses for his, even just for his gear, you know. You're right. So, throughout the years, did you ever travel to go see them anywhere, or did you just kind of stay in the in the San Francisco area no, to go I see them? I stayed in the Bay Area, and I didn't travel on the road with them or anything like that. Um, I'd go to uh, the gigs that were all in the Bay Area and in San Francisco and what have you there, and San Jose or wherever they were playing, Palo Alto, different places like that. But I never traveled on the road with them. What was your, what were your thoughts of of Kill 'Em All when it came out and and Ride the Lightning when it came out when you first heard it? Um, well, I was thrilled that finally somebody had made some metal music <laughs> <laughs> because 
I had been um, uh, attempting to learn guitar. Cliff was teaching me guitar when I, when he did die, actually. Um, and uh, I, I used to um, play on his knee, and he would play it on the guitar, what I was playing on his knee, plus what was in my head. And uh, it was a very, very spiritual uh, connection, you know? And um, he got to the point where he said, well, Connie, look, I don't have time to do this anymore. You're going to have to learn how to play by yourself, yourself, you know, and um, I'll teach you how to play guitar. So he was teaching me how to play guitar. And and then he died. And um, it wasn't until I put down the guitar and did not pick it up again. And I've never picked it up again. But in 1998, I ended up in the same rehab as Ozzy Osbourne. Okay. And he made me a um, he made me an offer that you would think a person couldn't refuse, right? But what would Connie do? She did. <laughs> but he said he kept walking around for like four days saying, "Connie, you need to play guitar. You need to play guitar. You need to play guitar, right?" And I finally I said, "Ozzy, what about the fact that my teacher died?" <laughs> Do you not understand? I said, just shut the app up, right? And he said, look, you play, I'll pay. And I want Ozzy to know that I'm ready to take him off offer now. <laughs> Thirty some odd years later, right? <laughs> right. So when uh, so when you're in rehab with Ozzy, does it come out that you're Cliff's sister? And then did he oh, have any? Yeah, did, definitely. And then what was definitely. his? You know, what did he have to say about uh, Cliff? What? Wait, what was the question again? What, what did Oz, what did Ozzy have to say about Cliff? Um. Well, uh, Ozzy and I not really ever talked about Cliff. Okay. Um, that I can remember. Um. We just talked about things that were going on for us at the time, you know. We were in rehab, down and out, hitting bottom. And, um, and yeah, we didn't talk about much about that, uh, about Cliff. I was still working out his death, you know. And um, Ozzy was still working out Randy Rhodes' death at that point in time. So uh, it was just not a subject that we either one of us brought up. My bad. The um, where were you when you found out that Cliff had passed? You know, I know a lot of people talk about that it took a long time for the you know the information to get you know from uh, from overseas back home things like this. How long did it take for you to find out that he uh, the, the accident had happened? Oh no, we found out within a couple of hours okay. of, it, of it happening, but it was um uh, uh I was I was had partied all night long, Audrey and I. Um, and, uh, we were, uh, we were at the bowling alley, um, with a couple of friends of ours and, um, it was like nine o'clock in the morning and, um, about 10 after nine to be exact. Cause I looked at my watch and I was ready to bowl and I was on the lane and I hadn't let go of the ball yet. Right. And all of a sudden it just came to me to, you have to go call your mother. You have to go call home. And so I stopped and I went back and I put the ball down and I said, I gotta go call my, I gotta go call my mom. I gotta go call home. 
And they said, well, Connie, it's your shot. Just take your shot because you're going to hold up the whole game. And I said, well, I don't care if I hold up the whole game. I've got to go call my mom. So I went to the phone and I called her. And she answered the phone. And um, I said, it's Cliff, right? And she said, yeah. And I said, he's dead, right? And she said, yeah. And she says, I think you better come home right now. And um, I said, okay, I'll be right there. And uh, I went back in and brought Audrey outside of the bowling alley and told her. And um, we went to the house. So, and then we had to wait, though, for two weeks until his body came back. So that was kind of, um, that was very difficult. Yeah, that's got to be tough. And how was it for you with the, you know, with with them? Obviously, they're still one of the biggest metal bands of all time, if not one of the biggest bands, period, of all time. But, you know, within that, you know, 86 to, to 92, you know, that whole time frame, you know, they blew up to be the biggest thing. So, I mean, it almost had to be a constant reminder that, that you know, that your brother had passed. You know, how did you handle all that? Well, uh I'll tell you how I handled it. I uh, I went back into my addiction mm-hmm. and drugs and alcohol, and um, I handled it all just perfect. <laughs> <laughs> okay, as an addict would, and uh, I ended up in 1998 just blowing up my life completely mm-hmm. um, on drugs and alcohol and. Uh, you know, divorce and lost custody of my child and, you know, the house and the car and everything, the money, everything. Um, I literally blew up my life um, on drugs and alcohol. But um, uh, during those times, uh, you know, I wanted, I, I wanted to mention something on this interview. This is completely off the subject right now. Okay. But, um, you know... Um, uh, my brother I listened to for many, many, many years in his bedroom, creating music, composing, right? Mm-hmm. And the classical music of Bach that he listened to and how he turned it into rock, okay? which Geddy Lee from Rush even wanted, uh, came and met Cliff when they were in New York. And Cliff did call home that time. He was so excited, <laughs> and he was usually not excited like that, right? Okay. And he was just down, really down to earth, and he was like, you know, because Geddy Lee, he, he played to Geddy Lee for years, right? So he was really excited. And he said, they, they said that Geddy Lee wants to come and meet me, right? Uh, the guy who finally broke the mold, you know, who did it, right? Because he's been trying for so many years. And uh, he was so excited about that. And I just wanted to mention that, you know, my brother did take that classical music and turn Bach into rock. And um, he's the only person that's done that, and I think that that's something that um, he is to be honored for and uh, given tribute, you know, to uh, accomplishing taking classical music and and uh, bringing it into heavy metal. 
you know? Yeah, I agree 100% with that. There's still stuff that, uh, you know, like I said, I was listening to Master Puppets earlier today, and I've listened to that album a million times, and I still hear, you know, things that he's doing that I'm just like, wow, he's, I can't, you know, he was so young to even have comprehend all of that, not only comprehend it, but also turn it into heavy metal. So it's uh, right. it's pretty insane. So it's insane to think that he was only 24 when he passed. Yeah, yeah. It's, it is. Um, he he was. It was time though. The fame and fortune thing was just too much. He wouldn't mm-hmm. accept it in his spirit. He wouldn't. Do you know what I mean? Way down deep inside. Yeah. He rejected that aspect of um, of being the best musician he could be, and. Um, it just doesn't work like that. Life doesn't work like that. Do you know what I mean? And after all, he did pick the Ace of Spades to pick his own deathbed, literally. That's, yeah, that's an insane and, story. Um, I don't think any of it was an accident. I think it was all planned out. It's just God's plan for us, you know? Yeah, and, you know, I think a lot of people say that Metallica died that night, and, you know, the things that they went on to do, obviously, they became the biggest band ever, but they they lost that, that spirit and that, that uh, the soul of the band, you know, when he passed, you know, obviously, Injustice for All, amazing album, the Black Album, amazing, you know, Load, Reload, you keep going, and it's they're all classic records, but they don't have that, uh, you know, that, that essence of Cliff Burton on there. No, they don't. Uh, their music did change. And um, you can hear on uh, on the uh, what's the one after Cliff died, the Black Album, uh, Justice for All, yeah, guys on, yeah, and Justice for All, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you know, you can hear Cliff's um, resonating, uh, you know, tone still lingering with Metallica in, in the album, you know. Um, but you can definitely hear Cliff's not there, you know. You know, since Cliff has passed, and you know, your dad took over that role of of kind of the curator and the of the estate of Cliff Burton, um, uh-huh. and kind of you know making the appearances, the you know the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which is amazing, and you know the 30th anniversary shows, and just just the fans loved your dad too, you know. And I yeah. and I, I know you guys had a rough patch, but I do believe you guys patch you know patched it up before your dad passed away. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, we did uh, at Cliff's birthday uh, in 2019, mm-hmm. and um, and we didn't talk after that, and uh, that w- it was just that one day, but uh, it was a very special day to me. Um, it gave me closure um, to when my dad did die, and um, and. Uh, I'm not going to comment any further on my dad's death no, because you don't there's, have to. there's a lot going on right now. Yeah, and I it's very personal, so I'll just keep it to myself for the moment. Right. With the, I guess the question in there is, you know, who's kind of taken over that role of 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 you know, kind of uh, just con- the controlling the the estate of Cliff Burton, you know, because I know Ray donated. Well, that's what I wasn't going to talk oh, okay, about. Okay. 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 Um, cool. Uh, I don't. I don't have control. My dad uh, left me out of the will. Ooh. And uh, um, my dad had considerable bitterness and hatred towards me. Uh, I was, you know, he was a nice guy to the rest of the world, 
but if you were Connie Burton, um, it was a whole different story, okay? Let's put it that way. All right. Well, we'll kind of get on to and, some... Uh, yeah. And we'll just move on to some happier stuff. But I mean, the one thing that, that the band has done the entire time has honored Cliff, you know, with the Cliff Amal VHSs all the way up to even in the last tour, you know, there was images of Cliff, you know, come down, you know, when they're playing the classic songs and things like that. You know, they've they've continued to keep the, the memory alive of, of your brother. Oh, yeah. And it's great to see fans out there with... Um, with big old flags and stuff, we remember Cliff, and I love Cliff, right? And I love seeing that on the videos on t- on YouTube and stuff like that. You know, I think Metallica has done very well for themselves, very well. Um, I'm um, I'm very proud of them since I've known them since they were, you know, just starting out, yeah. and um, things were different back then, um, but. Um, I'm very proud of them for their accomplishment in the music industry, and um, they've, they've come far. They've come far. They have. And the the one thing I noticed that you do with your Facebook is, you know, you you're always tagged in Cliff photos, and you continue to share Cliff stuff. And even when I share yeah. a, Cliff, a, a photo of Cliff, you know, the comments just blow up. You know, it's it's crazy that you know it's 2020 and and there are kids that are, you know, just now picking up a bass, going, man, this Cliff uh-huh. Burton guy is, is a thing, man. So it's got to be good for you to, to kind of just continue to, to keep the memory of Cliff going, too. Yes, it is. It's, it's awesome to do that. And um, I, um, I will say that about the Facebook. Um, the Cliff Burton family page mm-hmm. is not me. I am not any part of it. Um, uh, they are not my family, my step family. Okay. But um, I, I, I'm not included in any of the Cliff Burton estate business or any of anything to do with my brother. So what I do is on my own at this point in time right now, and, I, and what I can do anyway. And um, and I just want people to know that so that they're not sending stuff to the Cliff Burton. A family page where, you know, I'm over here at Connie right. Burton. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know you've talked about doing a book. Are you still thinking about doing that? I'm still doing it. Uh, I, I haven't been writing lately because I switched over to, I write lyrics also. Okay. And um, I switched over to uh, some lyrics that were coming my way. And uh, when they come, you write them, you know? And... Um, so I've been doing that lately, but I still have full intentions on uh, doing the book, and um, I have no idea when. <laughs> right. Things have gotten so busy and so much going on that I, you know, it's kind of um, uh, on the back burner at the moment. Now, with a book like that, I mean, do you have to go through channels to even get that out? Or are you worried about anything? I would have to ask um, my uh, stepsister, who doesn't talk to me, who's uh, the one that's in control of the Cliff Burton estate okay. at this moment. And um, so uh, until things change, um, I, I really don't know how that would work. Right. Yeah, that's got to be tough. Family stuff like that, and 
Ooh, I don't even want to get into that, but uh, but yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> we, we want to stop there. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh-huh. Um, you know, Kyle, well, just kind of going through the through the classic Metallica records. You know, what's some of the stuff that that jumps out to you? What you know, what's uh, what's your favorite Metallica song that uh, that Cliff was a part of? My favorite Metallica song. Yeah. Is Orion. No, oh, absolutely. And uh, and then my next favorite is Anesthesia Pulling Teeth. My next favorite is Creeping Death. <laughs> um, and um, uh, I liked everything that they did in the era when my brother was alive. Right, um, Master of Puppets, um, just all the all of them, everything. Jump with the fire, right? Um, um, after he died, um, I like, uh, the Unforgiven mm-hmm. one, <laughs> right. um, until it sleeps. Um, I can't think of any others right When's now. When's the last time you saw them live? Oh, I haven't seen or talked to, um, I haven't seen them since 19... 19- uh, 89, and um, I haven't talked to anybody um, besides Lars uh, in 1998 when I was crashing and burning. He was there to help me. Well, that's nice. Um, and uh, and uh, I talked to him over the phone every week, and um, he would, you know, make sure he kept in touch with me, and... Um, I was too far gone to say I need to go to rehab, so that was out, you know. Um, but uh, I, other than that, um, I haven't. They have not spoken to me. Uh, I've been in exile for um, since 1998. Oh wow! Or 1989. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, I, it, for me, that's it's. It's the norm because I was in exile from my father, and um, it appears that um, the people that were uh, on the inner circle that are uh, loving my dad are not loving me. Right. And don't speak to me. So uh, whatever that's all about, you know. I don't know, but peace out. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> no, I feel you. I, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's definitely sad when when families get, uh, you know, torn apart over certain things. Yes, it is. It's very sad. It's very sad. It's a tragedy. You know, mm-hmm. it really is a tragedy. But uh, it's life, and we have to accept it and and forgive, and um, and just go on. You know. Yeah. The. Um I'll, I'll end it off with a couple of uh, p- kind of more positive questions, but the uh, the one show online that I love to watch is the uh, 86, I believe it is, Day on the Green in Oakland. Were you at that show at the Oakland Coliseum? Oh, yeah, definitely. That was a great show. That was a great show. That was a great day. Yeah, Cliff was on fire that day. Like, he's just, he just, just raging, you know? He, he was always on fire. True. You know, he had a passion. He had a passion that um, not not everybody has for uh playing you know and um and 
I mean, that showed through his head banging, which was an involuntary movement of his physical <laughs> body, you know? Right. Um, but uh, he was always on because he was always passionate about what he was doing and what he was playing, you know? So he was there. He was present. At the, you know? It was on. Well, as we wrap this one up, Connie, you know, what's kind of one thing that you want to tell fans of your brother? You know, maybe something about him that we don't know. Mm. Well, what I'd like to say is um, I praise God for this interview, and and um, I praise God that I had a brother, um, brothers, um, and a brother that was um, so amazing and influenced and continues to influence people all over the world um, to um, play musical instruments. And, um, and it's just awe-inspiring and um, it's amazing. And um, I would say that... Um, you know, one thing that my brother would say to um, all of the men and women out there that are playing the bass and um, or the guitar or what have you and been inspired by Cliff, whether you're writing lyrics or what have you, is to never give up, to not give up, to remain hum- humble and um, and. And just continue forward. Do not give up. Stay committed and dedicated. That's perfect. That's a perfect way to end it, Connie. Thank you so much. You're very welcome. Thank you, Joshua.
huge thank you to Connie Burton for taking the time tonight. That was hugely educational in the life of Cliff Burton. And let's uh, say a huge thank you to Jake Masanari from Them Evils for taking some time, doing a little intro with me, uh, talking some Cliff. You know, two bass players talking Cliff. That's how you start off an episode about Cliff Burton. So make sure to check out Them Evils whenever they come through your town, when and if they come through your town again. And I go check them out and uh, always... Let the spirit of Cliff live on. And so for the Talk To Me podcast, I am Joshua Toomey, and I will talk to you guys soon.